My name is Andrew. I didn't get to introduce myself earlier. Uh, one of the pastors here. Uh, we are in week number two of the series that we're calling Today and Tomorrow, and it's all about our obligation to the next generation. We have a responsibility to live today in light of tomorrow, passing on our faith to the next generation. This isn't just for, for parents. Uh, this isn't just for adults. This is for all of us, this obligation we have to the next generation. And last week we kind of talked a little bit about this. We talked about the different generations, which I had a good time seeing all the different generations represented uh, throughout our church. And in fact, I want to I put up the generations again on the screen. And what I would like you to do is identify, if, in, in case you forget, okay, if you're one of the older generations, sorry, <laughs> or maybe you weren't here last week. Uh, that's not a good way to start the sermon, is it? Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, so identify which generation you're part of. Maybe you're elders or what we often call the greatest generation, right? Uh, born prior to 1946. Uh, boomers, 46 to 64. Uh, Gen X, born 1965 to 1983. Millennials, 1984 to 1998. And then Gen Z, born 1999 to 2015. So I want you to, first of all, identify which generation that you're a part of, okay? Everybody got your, your generation? Okay, what I want you to do next is, I want, okay, so for me, I'm Gen X, which means millennials and Gen Z kind of are the generations following, following me, okay? So maybe you're a millennial, that would mean Gen Z comes after you. Maybe you're in Gen Z and you're like, there's nobody after me, all right? Somebody, there will be a generation coming up after you, all right? They've already been born, many of them, some of them are still yet to come. But here, here's what I want you to do is, is, I just want you to picture your generation, the generations that follow after you, and I want you to think about the fact that you and I each have an obligation to the generations that follow us. This is really what this series is, is all about. It's not just about living for ourselves. It's not just about living for today. It's living in light of tomorrow, and it's living in such a way that we're going to pass on our faith in Christ to the generations that come after us, because that is the way that God has, has laid this thing out for us to, to be followers of Jesus and to pass that faith on to the next generation. But you know what, it's, it's normal in our culture uh, for there to be some animosity between the generations, isn't there? Uh, if, if you're online on social media at all, you've seen there's stuff online now, there's all this banter that kind of goes back and forth. Um, kind of the flavor of the day right now is it's millennials and boomers, right? Like, you ruined the world for us, and you ruined us, and blah, blah, blah. There's all this back and forth. In fact, there's memes all over the place, okay? And I know uh, I speak in the common language because everyone from my kids to, like, my, you know, 80-year-old in-laws, back and forth generational banter, they're not the funniest ones, but they're not vulgar, okay? That's, that's all I can say. So here's, here's one of these. Um, get, get off the interwebs. Okay, Boomer. Okay, I just had to throw this out there because anybody else tired of seeing the lady yelling at the cat? Where did this come from? I don't know, but it's everywhere, okay? Um, so that's one. Here's another one uh, that I like. Boomers. They say this. Millennials just don't understand how the world works. Also, Boomers, posting this. Tonight at midnight, Facebook will take ownership of all my photos unless I copy and paste this as my status. And all the boomers are like, why is that so funny? Okay, never mind. All right, let's move on. Okay, third meme is this. Just remember, for every boomer that hates a millennial, there's a generation in between that hates you both. All right, that would be my generation, Gen X. Okay, and I say that in jest because I don't hate any of the generations. Uh, but it is funny to kind of stand back and watch all of this. You know? It is funny. Uh, but again, in our culture, this is normal, right? For there to be this kind of animosity, like your generation versus my generation and all of this nonsense. But here's the deal is in the church, 
the church is meant to be different, right? We are a family, the family of God, and we're meant to be a, a counterculture. And so there, there's supposed to be something different, not this animosity between generations, but this kind of love and respect for, for one another. You know, as a whole life in Christ, community, and mission, okay? We want to help people find full life in Christ, community, and mission. So the full life that we were meant to have, we believe that it's found, first of all, in Christ, in relationship with the God of the universe, through the person and the work of Jesus, okay? It's meant to be found in Christ. It's meant to be found in community, so not just in relationship with God, but in relationship with with one another, with God's people in the church. And this full life is meant to be found on mission. In other words, in relationship with those who have not yet found life in Christ. And so we have a mission in other words, let me say it in some biblical language. We want to make disciples. That's what we're here as a church to do, is to make disciples, to bring other people into life in Christ and to help them grow, and then to be on mission and pass that along to others. Uh, I, I'm going to share a story. I want to celebrate something with you, because this past week, um, you know, as a pastor, a lot of times folks will come um, and, and want some counseling, want some help, because they're going through the stuff of life, right? And that's normal. We all go through that. And this past week, I had some, uh, a couple that wanted to uh, talk with me about some marital, marital issues, okay? Work through some mar- marriage counseling, which is not unusual, okay? Every marriage is broken. <laughs> every, every husband and wife is, is a sinner, and, and so they needed some help. And so they came into my office, and what was the most amazing thing is as we talked through all of that, they came to a realization of their brokenness personally before God, and so this husband and wife who came in with a broken marriage and with broken lives um, ended up leaving this place with a new relationship with God. They submitted themselves and fully put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they found full life. Now that's what we're all about, amen? And so now the, the only hope to fix the brokenness in their marriage, now they have that within, one, one, within each other and within their marriage. And that's what, that's what this is all about, is helping people to find full life in Christ. And, and that's, that's made my week just amazing. And I want to celebrate that with you all because that's why we exist. And the reason the church grows is not because of a, a pastor, you know, great preaching or great music or great programs. The church grows when God's people take the mission of God seriously and actually invest their lives and pour into others and into the next generation. And that's what this series is, is all about. We're all part of of this. And so the focus of this series is that the next generation needs Christ, the next generation needs community, and the next generation needs a mission to live for. Last week we, we kind of shared this big thought that we have an obligation to possess and to pass Christ. We have an obligation to possess, to personally possess a faith in Christ that is living and active, and we have an obligation not to just to possess that kind of faith, but to pass it on to the next generation. So today we're going to talk about that the next generation needs community, needs community. And so what we're going to do this morning is I want to share two big passages. One is, is kind of an Old Testament principle, and then there's going to be a New Testament kind of application for us, okay? So let me, let me do this. Let's, let's pray for just a moment, and then we'll jump into the scriptures. Uh, God, again, we just want to say thank you for allowing us to come in here today, and thank you for the opportunity to open your word Lord, we get so used to maybe um, coming and hearing scriptures, maybe even just opening the Bible on our own, and, 
And yet, God, I pray that you would help us, even this morning, to realize that every time we open the pages of your book, we are inviting you to speak into our lives. God, we are opening ourselves up to whatever it is that you want to say to us. And so, God, I pray that any distractions, any tiredness, anything that might cause us to um, not hear your words to us this morning, God, I pray that you would move them aside, that you would help our hearts and our minds to focus, to be focused in, Lord, looking to you for whatever it is that you want to say to us. And so, Lord, we as your people submit to you today. Would you speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name couple months. Uh, I told you I love the book of Psalms. Psalm 78, I want us to go there, and I want us to see this, this passage in the first eight verses. Psalm 78, verse number one. The psalmist says this, give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. Verse number four. Here's kind of the key verse here. We will not hide them from our children, but we'll do what? What's that next word? Tell. But tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. We're not going to hide them. We're going to tell the next generation. Verse 5, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to do what? To teach to their children. Verse 6, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and do what? Tell them to their children. Verse 7, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should be, not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not saying, he's, he's saying, listen, Israel, okay, speaking to the, the, the people of Israel, and he's saying, give ear to my teaching. Listen to what I'm saying, okay? I want to I tell you something. You know God's word, and you have seen God's works. Now, you know his word, you've seen his works. Now, you have a responsibility to faithfully transmit God's word and God's works to the following generation. You've seen it, you've experienced, you know it now. You have a responsibility to tell the next generation who will then tell the next generation. Okay, you see that? There's this responsibility that we have. Deuteronomy 6, we're not gonna go there this morning, but, but we see this earlier in, in the Old Testament when God established for parents, for the home, this to be the primary place where the, the words and the work of God is to be passed on to the next generation. And we get that. But here the psalmist is talking to the nation as a whole, the people of God, saying, now that you know and have experienced God's word and his works, you have a responsibility to transmit that to the next generation. And so I want you to see, I want to go back to verse number seven and eight here, because there's, there's a fourfold reason why the psalmist says it's important for, for them to pass that on to the next generation, okay? So we're going to see this laid out in verses seven and eight. So verse 7, it says this. The reason that we want to pass on the faith to the next generation is so that they would set their hope in God. Okay, so as a human being, which hopefully you're all in the same category with me, right? As human beings, our tendency, okay, the reason that the psalmist says we want them to set their hope in God is because our tendency as people is to set our hope 
in God and the other things, right? A whole lot of other things. Sometimes ourselves, sometimes our circumstances, other people. And the psalmist says, the reason we want you to pass along the word and the works of God is so that the next generation, they won't follow this tendency to just set their hope in other stuff, but so that they'll set their hope in God because they've experienced the goodness of God. So that's the first thing. Here's the second thing. So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. Not forget his word or his works. Okay, because... Again, the reason that he's having to tell them this is because our tendency is not to remember the good stuff that God has done, right? What are the things that we remember? The things that disappoint us, right? That frustrate us, that make us angry, that make us question. And the psalmist says, hey, we want the next generation to not forget what God has done. Remember all the bad, but forget the good. It's especially to forget the goodness of God towards us. And this is why you'll hear me often say, almost like, hopefully every single week, you'll hear me talk about the gospel. The fact that God loves us and Jesus came and offered his life for us. Because listen, sometimes we think we, we get over that. We hear that, we know that's part of it, and then we can move on from that. We can never, ever, ever move on from what Jesus has done for us. We can never forget the good work that Jesus has done for us because that is the foundation of our faith and that is the way that we grow in our faith is to always go back to the work that Jesus has done for us. And so the psalmist says, listen, we don't want the next generation to forget what God has done, not just in the world, but in your lives. And so fathers, mothers, patriarchs, matriarchs, those who are older in the faith, don't let the next generation miss out and, and not see and forget what God has done in the past. We don't want them to forget the works of God. Then there's a, another thing, that they should set their hope in God, not forget the works of God, but say these next three words with me, but keep his commandments, okay? So another word to say this would be to be obedient, to be obedient. We want, as human beings, okay, if you're a parent, if you've ever worked with kids, uh, if you were ever a kid yourself, <laughs> okay, so this should cover all of us, what is our tendency when it comes to obedience? Obedience, To be obedient or no? No, it's to go our own way, right? It's to do our own thing. It's to move, a, move away from authority, right? Our bent is not towards obedience, it's towards disobedience, right? It's towards disobedience. Listen, the tendency for the next generation, and this is true of all of us, the tendency is always towards disobedience and going our own way. And so the psalmist says, hey, we want to pass along the good works of God because we want the next generation to be obedient. We want the next generation to follow after Jesus. We want the next generation to not go their own way. We want them to go Jesus' way, amen? We've got to pass that along to them. We've got to pass it along to them so that they would be obedient, so that they would follow God. Not that they would do their own thing, but they would do God's thing, that they would go God's way. And so the reason this is so important, this is a priority, is because, man, we want the next generation to follow in the ways of God, to follow in the ways of God, just like us. 
That's not the goal, y'all. It's for the next generation to be like Jesus and to follow Jesus. And hopefully they see in us an example that they can follow after. But ultimately, it's so they will be obedient to the ways of God. And so that's the third way. Here, here's the fourth way, verse number eight. And that they should not be like their fathers. And all the mothers said, amen. All right, okay. All right, I'm, I'm urging you on in a way that's not good. All right, sorry. Um, look, look at what he says. That they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Okay, this isn't just talking about just the dads, just the men, although I'm sure they contributed a, a huge part to this. All right, he's, he's talking to the nation of Israel. Okay, again, remember the story of the Exodus. They were in slavery and bondage in Egypt. God brought them out, delivered them, rescued. It's a picture of our salvation from sin. He pulls them out, takes them on this journey to this promised land, this full life that he intended for them. And their 11-day journey turned into 40 years. Why? It's because they were stubborn and rebellious. And rather than going God's way and following God's instruction, they went their own way. They walked in their own wisdom. And it took them all over the place, right? Because they were stubborn and removed away from God's ways. They were all over the place, right? And so here's what the psalmist says. Hey, we, we don't want the next generation to be like their fathers, like the generation that came before them that were stubborn, that refused to submit to God's ways and went their own way. Like, listen, if, if you are a parent, you get this, right? We all want our kids to do better than us. We all want our kids to not experience the same stuff that we had to go through, right? If we could save our kids the 40 years of us trying to figure things out, man, we would do it, Right? And this is what the psalmist says. Let's not let the next generation wander through life and try to figure out this God thing and how to walk with God when we have experienced it, when we've gone through the wilderness. Man, let us reach back and help them so that they will not be like their fathers, so they won't be like us. Amen? This is the reason it's important for us to look to the next generation and go, man, we want to help you. We want to come alongside you. We want to pour into you so that you could have the faith that we now have that we wish we would have had at your age. And so these are the, this is the fourfold reason. Verse number seven, so that they should set their hope in God, not forget his work, rebelliousness of their fathers, so that they would not repeat the rebelliousness of their fathers. But here is the reality in all of this. Like, we don't learn all these things. These aren't transferred through birth or by, by blood, right? These are things that we have to be taught. We have to be trained in. We have to be shown, okay? We, and so we need others to tell and to teach and to show. And, and you saw that over and over in Psalm 78. Tell and teach and to show. That's what we need, we, we don't need to just be told. We need, we need to see it. And so I want to ask you a question, okay? I just want you to think about this. Because if, if you have at all grown in your faith, if you have a relationship with God, you are walking with Jesus, and you have grown in any way over the years, who, who is it who has, who has been the one to tell and to teach and to show you? Maybe there's been multiple people in your life who have told you 
and have trained you and have invested in you and shown you what it looks like to follow after Jesus. Because if you have followed Jesus, again, for any length of time, and if you have grown, I mean, there have been people who have invested in you, right? And we get to be that for the next generation, for the next generation. Let me, let me give you, let me, let's go to the, the next application, okay? In Titus chapter 2, what you have here is you have Paul instructing a young leader, a young pastor or elder, and his name is Titus, all right? And, and the idea of, of this morning is that the next generation needs community. The next generation needs a people to belong to, what we would call the church, okay? There's, there's a quote I want to share with you from this guy named Richard Ross. I think this is so important for when we think of kids and teenagers and the next generation. He says this, the, the teenager who looks out over the congregation and says, these are my people, I belong. Okay, the teenager who looks out over the congregation and thinks, these are my people, I belong, is most likely to look up and say, you are my God, I belong in your presence. Okay, think about that for a second. The teenager who finds his place in a church and is able to look around and say, this is my people, I belong here, I belong amongst this people, is the one who is most likely to be able to look up and say, you are my God, I belong in your presence. I think there's so much power to that and so much truth to that, that when they feel like they belong to a group of people who are following after Jesus, who are worshiping God, who are following his ways, when they feel like they belong to this people, it gives them a place where they can say, the next generation needs community. And what I want to see in Titus chapter 2 is that we all play a part in this. And Paul is instructing, again, here a young pastor, a young leader named Titus, and he's instructing him how to lead the church, okay? How to lead the family of, of God. And so I want to read Titus chapter 1, or chapter 2, starting in verse number 1. Paul instructing Titus, and he says this in verse 1. But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Okay, that word doctrine just means teaching and instruction. And, and here he's not just talking about teaching people about God, but actually how to follow God, how to walk in his ways, okay, how to live for God. Verse number 2, it says this. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, in steadfastness. Verse number three, it says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Verse number six, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And, and then he moves into this, this realm of, of servants and, and workers, employees, people under authority. He says in verse nine, bond servants are to to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Okay, so let me give you the bottom line here, and then we're going to kind of work through this passage for just a couple minutes. The bottom line is this. In the church, in the church, we give the next generation a people to belong to 
and personal examples to follow. Okay, in the church, this is what the family of God does. We give the next generation a people to belong to and personal examples to follow. Personal examples to follow after. And I want you to look back, back at verses 2 and 3. Because what Paul does is he speaks, he speaks about the role of, of older men and women. And I think, honestly, as a, as a pastor and a leader in the church, I think this is, in all the churches I've served in and been a part of, I feel like this is, this is in the church overall, this is one of the chapters of the Bible that is so important in the life of the church, but yet is so rarely taught. So verse number 2 says, older men. How many of you in this room would consider yourself to be an older man? Okay, raise your hand. Okay, okay, a good number of you. Okay, some of you are like, nope, not going there. <laughs> all right, <laughs> that's all right. Listen, here's the deal. Is there anybody younger than you? Is it, are, men, are there any, any males that are younger than you that are alive? Yes. So guess what? You're all older men, all right? We all fit into that category. Okay, older women. Okay, how many of you would consider yourselves older women? Okay, let's not even go there. Let's, let's, let's skip that whole part, all right? We'll, we'll show grace in this part. We'll skip that, all right? Um, here's the point. Every female in the room is an older woman, okay? Not old, older than somebody, right? Everyone's, we're all older. And so here's the responsibility within the church. Those of you that are older men, Okay, you are to teach the younger. Older women, you are to teach the younger. Now, you'll notice that the women have a lot more to teach. Right? Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, we're just, I, got, I had to go there. Look at it. There's a lot more to teach. Um, <laughs> but this is the responsibility for everyone in the church. Okay, whether you're an elder, whether you're a millennial, whether you're a Gen X, whatever generation you're part of, older men teach the younger. Older women, okay. There's two elements that are given to this instruction. We're going to stick right here in these verses. Older men are to, what's that next word? Older, older men are to be, okay? Verse number three, older women likewise are to be. Okay, here's the, here's the first kind of element of, of, of our role as older men and women. It's to be an example worth following. It's to be... A certain type of person. Okay, before we ever try to teach or to tell, we need to show. We need to be a certain type of person. And we're not going to dive into all it says that we are to be. We could spend a whole series on, on that alone. But the point is this. We're to be an example worth following. We're to be an example worth following. Somebody who who is loving the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and is following after him, has habits and things in our life that we could say with confidence, hey, follow me as I follow after Christ. It's to be an example worth following. And then after this, you see um, in, in verse number three, it says they are to teach what is good. And so train the young women, okay? Speaking of older women, okay? Be this type of person and then teach um, likewise, and notice, again, very short instruction, but I think everything within the male's life apparently must fall under self-control, all right? Uh, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Y'all, if we could teach the younger men to be self-controlled, it'd be a better world, wouldn't it? <laughs> Here, 
the urge, that word urge literally means to come alongside. Okay, to come alongside. It's the same word that the word Holy Spirit, a comforter actually, is translated from the Greek. It means to come alongside. So here's the idea. Here's our twofold responsibility. It's to be an example worth following that the next generation could, could look at and say, that's what it looks like to follow after Jesus. That's what it looks like to be a godly husband or wife. That's what it looks like to be a godly wife and mother. That's what it looks like to be a godly student. That's what it looks like to be a godly employee. So be an example worth following. And then, and then, and then, don't just be an example, but teach and train and urge to actually teach and train, to actually teach and to train, which, which means there's an investment that we make. We don't just live a life and say, well, I hope they catch it, right? I hope they see it and follow my example. That's the first part of it. But the second responsibility that we have is, no, we've actually got to teach example, actually invest in others. Listen, y'all, this is what I said earlier. This is the way that the church grows. This is the way that the church grows. The church is not going to grow because I'm preaching A-plus sermons or our music is killer every week or our programs are the best in the county. Listen, the, the way that the church grows, the way that friendship will grow is when every single one of us takes seriously the responsibility that we have as older men and older women to pass along our faith to the next generation. Man, I'm spitting a lot, y'all, this morning. It's because I'm serious about this. This is, this is the role that God has given us, not just to come and sit, but to invest in the next generation. Listen, in our generation, we call this mentoring, but in the Bible, we call it discipleship, making disciples. And you don't mentor someone or you don't disciple someone from a stage or from far away. You mentor someone up close. You mentor someone from your life. And as we get more and more serious about this, this is when the church grows in maturity and number and reaching out to the people around us. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, it's not in your notes or on the screens, but Paul said this, be imitators of me as I am follow after Christ. And listen, if you're, if you're part of Gen Z or maybe even millennials, sometimes we go, uh, man, that's hard because I'm not old enough yet. Okay, I don't have enough Bible knowledge or I haven't lived enough life yet or I'm not married or I don't have kids or I don't have this or that. And it's easy for us to go, well, I'm, I'm not old enough to be an example for others to follow yet. And I want to take you back to 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. This is like a youth ministry staple that like teenagers can cling on to. And I love this passage in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. It says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers a what? An example. He says, I don't care how young you are. You can set an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. And I love that we use this for young people, for teenagers, because this is true. No matter how young you are, you, you have an opportunity to set an example. Okay, there are 12-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 16-year-olds who set a way better example of following Jesus than some of us, truth be told, right? It doesn't matter how young you are. But here's the thing. Sometimes we go, okay, this is just for kids. But listen, you know what's going on here? Paul is instructing another young pastor. His name is Timothy. He's telling him, don't let anyone despise your youth. But, but if you think about the generations, okay, if they were living today, 
Paul would have been like a boomer. And you know how old Timothy would have been? Okay, like a 30 to 35-year-old. And he's saying to this 30 to 35-year-old man, hey, don't let anybody look down on you just because you're young. You can be an example. No matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, you can set an example that's worth following. Okay? And so let me ask you this, this question this morning, just for you to consider. Okay, how are you being an example to the next generation? How are you being an example worth following? I mean, could you confidently, confidently say to someone younger than you, follow after me as I follow after Christ? And maybe if you're being honest this morning, you would say, mm, not really. Hey, here's the good news. You can change that. You can begin to follow after Christ today. Here's, here's another question is, how are you teaching or training the younger? Are you just in your, living your own life, being an example, and hopefully a good example? But how are you actually investing into the next generation? Are you taking your role seriously as an older man or older woman in the church? Because listen, if you're part of this body, this is all y'all's responsibility, amen? This is for all of us. So let me give you one final thought here. Because here's the deal. How do we learn? I asked that question earlier. Who has invested in you? Who has poured into you? Hopefully there's a number of people. Okay, hopefully at least there's one person. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a, a, a pastor or a leader in your life, a friend who has invested in you that has helped you get to where you're at. Okay? But I know the reality. For a lot of us in this room, there's been nobody in our life who's invested in us. Nobody who has said, hey, here's what it looks like to follow after Jesus. For, for many in the church, if we're being honest, a reason a lot of people don't grow in their faith is because there's nobody who invests in them and says, hey, let me be a spiritual father to you. Let me be a spiritual mother. Let me help you figure this thing out and walk with you. Okay, this is why I'm excited about this couple that put their faith in Christ, because we have a chance as the church to say, hey, let, we want to come alongside you and help you to learn what it looks like to be a godly husband and a godly wife, and to put Jesus at the center of your marriage. But listen, maybe you've never had that in your life. Okay, but listen, listen, here is the cool thing, here is the amazing thing, is that I mean, we can't blame the failures of the previous generation, but there's grace in all of this. The pressure's not all on us. I want you to look at, at back at Titus chapter 2, verse 11. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Verse number 12, would you say those next two words with me? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Man, I don't want you to miss verse 11. Because here's the truth. Even if you've had nobody in your life that's invested in you spiritually, here is the reality. Here is the good news. The grace of God has appeared. The 
grace of God has come and has brought salvation for all of us. What this means is that, man, God has come, Jesus has come to bring us salvation, to bring us a way out of our sins, to bring us redemption. Uh, Verse 14, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people, to cleanse us of our sins. Grace of God has appeared, it's brought salvation. Listen, and it hasn't just brought us out of our sins. Verse 12, it trains us, it teaches us, it grows us up. It teaches us how how to renounce all ungodliness, how to kill and mortify the sin in our life, how to begin to live in the ways that God has called us to live. Listen, ultimately, y'all, it's not dependent on somebody else investing in you because the grace of God has appeared and the grace of God, Jesus does all the work. Amen. And his grace is sufficient today. And so God, this morning, we come before you and we acknowledge that your grace has come, that you haven't asked us to figure this all out, that you haven't asked us to learn how to to live the right way and then to pass it on in our own strength. God, your grace has come. It has appeared once for all and has brought salvation for us to rescue us, to redeem us, and then to train us in the ways to walk. God, for those of us that have kind of fallen short and have failed to invest in those coming behind us in the way that you would call us to. Father, help us to be an example that's worth following. Not because we are so good and because we're so righteous, but because you are so good and you are so righteous and your grace covers us. So God, I pray, my prayer is that we would be a Titus 2 kind of church. Lord, that we would follow you with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. God, that we would be an example that's worth following as we follow after Christ. But then God, that we would be intentional, that you would give us opportunities, that you would give us a deep-seated conviction to not just be an example, not just to attend, and consume, but God, to pour out, to invest, and to pass on the grace of God that you have so freely given to us. And so God, would you help us to raise up the next generation? Would you help the next generation to be active in raising up and pouring into the next generation? God, would you, would you purify us for yourself, this people that's zealous for good works? God, we just are so grateful that you wanna use us as part of your incredible plan grace. And so God, as we continue to worship, God, would you help us to rest in your grace? Would you help us to rest in our position in Christ and with us as we continue to worship?